Welcome to the second part of our webinar series, the blueprint of the strategic demand marketing plan. I'm joined today by our three expert guests, Chief Operations Officer Jennifer Harmel, Chief Growth Officer Jessica Jones, and Senior Strategy Director Jen Watson. Today we're talking about how to start laying the foundation for your own strategic demand marketing plan. We'll cover the first three steps, which include developing insights, mapping out the buying process, and building a conversation track architecture. Let's get started. Jen, can you talk a little bit about what it means to develop insights and why this step is important? Absolutely. So the insights phase is the foundation on which everything is built. And it's where we start putting the buyer at the very center of everything. So, you know, we use these insights to build a story. Um, and what's interesting is as you go through this discovery and research process, which involves both qualitative and quantitative research, um, you're forced to take a really honest look at your buyers. And I think that it's important to actually acknowledge here that oftentimes organizations think that they know what's going, what the outcome is going to be when we go into the insights phase where we, we look into these six categories that we'll talk about here in a second. Um, but I think they're often very surprised by our findings. So I don't know if Jessica and Jennifer, if you would agree with that. 100%. 110%, yes. <laughs> It's, it's usually a combination, I think, of validation of what, what they might already know, um, but along coupled with some completely new insights that just kind of, you know, completely change the game and the way you look at your demand marketing. Agreed. So the, the six insights groupings that, that we use are macro trends, buyer pain points, decision-making process, content consumption preferences, optimizing conversion, and then change management. So I'll just go into each one um, in a little bit of detail. We're not gonna dig in too deep because that would probably, we could probably do um, a whole you know, show on each one, <laughs> a whole podcast on each one, uh, but I will kind of explain what each one is and, and why it's valuable and what it informs. So the macro trends, which is the first area, of insights. These are really large scale happenings that are impacting the way that business is being done. Um, this could be anything from what's happening from an economic standpoint. Um, it could be something that's happening from, you know, preferences and expectations of buyers, of vendors, of third party resources, any kind of forces that would influence the, the way that strategy is built and the way that decisions are made. So this is largely informing what we say to our buyers, and it's a way to make sure that we're relevant and that we're talking to them in a way that's meaningful. And I know, Jessica, we have an example with one of our clients where, and this is probably a common theme with many clients, where they've been impacted by supply chain issues. It's something that came out of our discovery phase and digging into macro trends. And at first it seemed like maybe it was just going to be a temporary thing. But as we really started talking more and interviewing um, customers and prospective customers, it's really driving some fundamental changes that are likely to permanently change how, how business is done and how decisions are made. 
Yeah, that's it's interesting because you said before it's it's you know impact the broader impacts that are really thought leadership type things, but that's where the you know something, but then what's the spin on it, right? I think what people know it's a great example of what people know are the macro trends, but what they don't know are the lasting impacts of those macro trends, or potentially how they impact a buying process or the way a customer thinks or feels or whatever it might be. Right. Which is why they're called macro trends, right? <laughs> because it's a very broad way of looking at it. You know, you can't um, you can't just think that this is a temporary trend. This is something that may you know may go away. These are things that are having a, a very broad implication throughout a market. Mm -hmm. So the second area that we look at when we're collecting insights and doing our discovery phase is buyer pain points and. I don't think this is going to be a big surprise to anybody because the main thing we want to understand when we're building any kind of marketing program is you want to understand the buyer. What are they struggling with? Um, you know, how can we talk to them in a way that resonates with them that makes us stand out? And the only way to do that is if you really intimately understand their pains and challenges and you're addressing those pains and challenges throughout the entire buying process. Now, an interesting thing about the buyer pain points is this is also an area that helps to identify different types of buyers and how you're going to segment buyers and how you're going to create personas around those buyers so that you don't try to force fit them all into the same type of messaging and content, which you know could completely be a miss. And I think we've all been victims of that when we're being marketed to, whether it's business or um, you know, B2C, where you know you keep getting emails for something that you're just completely not interested in, <laughs> and you think you've got me wrong, you know, like you know it's like sending a bald guy, you know, a bunch of shampoo ads or something, you know, when you don't know your buyer, that's when you you you're gonna lose them. <laughs> you got some chuckles there. So yeah, the buyer pain points, um, this is really a very foundational piece of, of the insights to understand um, what they're struggling with on a day-to-day -day basis and um, you know, where the, challenge, the key challenges are. And that moves really nicely into the third insight area, which is the decision-making process. And it gets really a bit hairy here because now we're trying to figure out beyond those pain points and challenges, what does the buying process and the buying committee look like internally at an organization? So this is where we're trying to understand who, who are the influencers, who are the decision makers, how do they work together or not work together? <laughs> um, you know, what level of involvement does each person have? Um, how are they approaching vendor evaluations? So really trying to understand what that buying process looks like internally, what the nuances are, and, and that informs the buying process that, that we map out that serves as the foundation for everything that we do. Um, and you know, we look at the buying process across various stages of the buyer journey so that we can make sure that we're talking to the right people at the right time with the right messaging. So. You know, if we're looking at a buying committee, at what stage does procurement get involved, for example? What stage, um, you know, is the decision maker really getting involved? Or is there an influencer that's coming in late in the buying process that's really going to change things up? And, you know, how do you accommodate for that? And how do you 
it, you know, further helps with how you're going to segment and message to your audience. Anything to add to that so far, uh, Jessica or Jennifer? All Not right. really. Yeah, I think you're doing a great job. Yeah, I just want, I, like I said, we could like go so deep into a rabbit hole in each of these, but, um, you know, this is just kind of a preview. So moving on to the fourth area of insights, which is content consumption preferences. And this is always a really interesting one because this is where we're trying to figure out where and how the buyers are consuming content. Um, what are the trusted resources? What's viewed as valuable content? Is it vendor content? Is it an outside industry organization? Um, you know, what, what content is influencing the buyer at various stages of their journey? And this can be dramatically different for the various types of buyers. So you can have, um, you know, back to the example of procurement, they can have very different content consumption preferences compared with, um, you know, let's say like an engineering audience or um, a sales audience, a marketing audience. So this is really important to understand because what it's going to inform is everything from the type of content we develop in terms of the format um, to the topics, as well as the engagement channels. So what are we saying to them? How are we saying it? And where are we going to deliver the message? So um, the content consumption preferences is extremely important because if you don't have a good understanding of where and how they're consuming content, everything could kind of fall apart there. Because now you've got this great program, but what? <laughs> You know what I think is interesting about that too? I, I agree with you. I, this is one of my favorite, besides optimizing conversion, I like content consumption preferences as, as well. What's interesting to me has always been the fact that it changes over time. So we, you talked about mapping that buying process out and the fact that people can have radically different preferences in terms of format or where they go or what they're doing, or like you said, short form, long form, whatever it might be, depending on where they're at in that buying cycle, right? So if they're in that more passive research phase or that active buying stages, um, it's dramatic differences as to what they prefer in terms of, of content. So I've always thought that was really interesting. Yeah, not only does it change over the course of the buying process, but it changes as, as things develop with, you know, technology and the mm -hmm. digital landscape and how we're all consuming content. You know, the way I consumed content is very different today compared with five years ago. And I'm sure it is for everybody on this call as well. So it's something that, you know, you have to constantly keep a pulse check on to make sure that, that you know, you are hitting the, the, type of, uh, the type of engagement channels and the type of content that the buyer wants. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about revisiting engagement channel models too, right? Again, we're gonna go down a rabbit hole, but <laughs> well, we'll, well, we can talk about that, like you said, in another podcast or something. <laughs> yeah, but absolutely, constantly looking for ways to optimize your engagement channels and your content um, model. So on to Jessica's favorite uh, <laughs> insight area, which is optimizing conversion. And this is a fun one. This is a juicy one. Um, this is where we're looking to identify areas of opportunity to improve conversion rates throughout the sales funnel. And this covers a, a very broad <laughs> grouping of topics, everything from internal alignment 
How are your sales and marketing teams alignment uh, in alignment? How are your sales and delivery or customer support teams aligned? Um, what are your lead management processes look like? What does your technology stack look like? How are you using that technology stack? What is your data model? You know, how are you, where are you storing data? How are you keeping it clean? I mean, again, it goes very, very deep, but really at the heart of it, it's looking for points of friction that need to be addressed and how you're converting clients. And the, you know, during this optimizing conversion insights phase, we're looking at everything from technology to process to governance. And those are the areas that it's gonna ultimately inform in terms of how you wanna optimize it. And technology is one of those areas that requires a lot of discovery um, on its own. There's you know, a lot that, that the te technology piece is driving um, the in insights that we develop from doing a deep dive into an organization's tech stack and how it's being used or how it's not being used are really foundational to a demand generation program. However, technology is not a good starting point because um, I think what, what we've seen, I've seen this as both um, an employee at Anutis as well as you know, being a customer and being a marketing director at organizations, when you try to lead with technology, the result can often be automating chaos. So it's a very important piece of the puzzle and it has to be factored in. It's just doing it at the right time. So I think it was just important to me to call that out because I think it's a natural go-to for a lot of people, um, especially C-levels. No offense, Jennifer and Jessica. <laughs> level executives, executives often start with the tech stack and, oh, do we need to buy more tools? What tool is going to help us? And, you know, how solve all problems. Right. No, it's you were at dead on. It's going to magnify whatever's going on in the organization, right? So, sure, if you have a solid, well-informed process, it's going to magnify and enable that process, right, and help to automate and scale. If you have a poor process, it's going to also magnify that lack of process or poor process. So, absolutely, the process is the, is the piece that needs to come first. The the other thing that I love about optimizing conversion is is when you interview leadership versus the folks in the trenches and the different <laughs> answers that you get. You're talking about points of friction, things like that. I always think it's really eye-opening for leadership. You know, yes, I will call ourselves out as leaders, right? But I think it's eye-opening sometimes um, if leaders have gotten away from in the trenches type sales motions or things like that, that they realize how far off their assumptions have become. Or to your point earlier, like how how they haven't kept up with with the changing dynamic, changing customer preferences or whatever it might be. So they're stuck in this old way of doing things, right? And then you've got these younger generations coming in and doing things differently. And that's not how the leadership is training to, right? Or acting within the organization, whereas the younger generation is craving different types of enablement or or to your point, tools or whatever it might be, right? Processes. So I've always thought to, that part was interesting. To pull up a little bit from what you just said, Jessica, it's, um, it's always interesting to me, again, we want to start with the buyer and, and get that deep understanding, right? And most organizations feel that they, they know their buyers. We know our customers. We know what makes them tick. And you cover all of these insights from end to end. And that's also always amazing to me. They think they know, but inevitably they walk away from us delivering our insights with such an expanded view of who their prospects and customers really are. 
It speaks to the orchestration piece of it, right? We always, we hammer on that, that concept of orchestration of all of these things. I think that's a, that's another piece that I love about the insight section is they don't realize how interrelated all these things are to your point, right? It's, it's, they're like, okay, well, we, we have, we have a tech problem or we have a process or a problem or whatever it might be, but then you cover all of these things. And then when you start to talk about how this informs conversations and, and content and, and, you know, the go forward approach for, for operationalizing around that customer and their, it, you know, they don't even think about how all these things tend to impact it. So that's the fun. And I, and I, I think both of you brought up a, you touched on a really good point, which is that like, there's no end to any of these insights, you know, any of these categories we've talked about, whether it's content consumption, optimizing conversion, decision-making, it never just like stops and it's static. And that's the way it's always going to be. <laughs> Was that a segue into the final category? Well, in fact, it is, Jessica. Uh, but no, really, I mean, I think that's important because like you guys were just talking about, it is easy to kind of get stuck in the way of, you know, well, we just looked at this five years ago and, you know, you realize it's been five years and you think that you really have a good grasp on, you know, what's going on with your buyers. And then suddenly you take it, you know, take a look at it through a fresh a fresh lens and wow, things have changed a lot. Things move fast. So, you know, constantly looking at these areas to figure out, you know, where can you optimize, especially when it comes to optimizing conversion. It's it's like you can't ever just put it to bed and say, well, we're done with that. <laughs> it's going to keep keep coming up and it, there's going to keep being opportunities to make things better. But it is a nice segue. Thank you for the setup, Jessica, to the final um, area of insights, which is change management. And this is actually a personal favorite of mine. Um, it's a really, really, really big, um, big hairy monster, but it's often overlooked for a lot of organizations. Um, at the end of the day, I think it's really important to have a systematic approach to the transformation, especially transformation um, that's really big and really involved and touches multiple parts of an organization. In fact, we actually already have an entire podcast that um, is adapt that is devoted to this topic. So a little subtle, not so subtle plug there. But the Again. important thing when we're talking about change management is it needs to be both top down and bottom up. You have to look at it across all areas of the organization. It, it ultimately plays a huge role in making sure that everybody is on board. And ultimately, I think it can be the thing that breaks, that makes or breaks um, how people adapt. To the change, whether it's you know process, technology, governance, whatever you're talking about, all of it, you know, sometimes when we're, the clients we're working with, we're making, you know, big sweeping changes across the organization, and I think it's easy to think, oh, well, we'll just you know do a good job of communicating, and it's much more than just uh, an occasional email or you know mentioning it in a in an all hands meeting. <laughs> right, it's changing habits. You know, not to, I think we even said verbatim and, and it's one thing we always said, right? It's people are people and changing, nobody wants to change. Everyone's comfortable, right? But changing is hard, but yeah, changing habits and having that be permanent and see, having people see the value in that is, is hard and it takes time and it takes diligence. Yes. So um, that's, that's pretty much all I've got um, for the um, insight. So just again, just to recap what those six insight groupings are, we've got the macro trends, buyer pain points, decision-making process, content consumption preferences, optimizing conversion, and then finally our, our 
favorite uh, change management. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, so once you have all these insights together, um, Jennifer, could you speak a little bit to how they apply to the buying process? Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, the, the insights effort, um, like Jen said, it's super foundational, right? And once we've collected all of this information and feel like we have a really good understanding of who our buyers and their pain points and the processes, we set off to, to build several different models that all together will make up the new demand marketing you know, programs and, and, and efforts. And the first model I would say that we, we start to build out would be literally mapping out the buying process. So thinking about, <clears throat> excuse me, what are the discrete steps that your buyers go through? When I say buyers, I think one thing really key to keep in mind here is we're talking about from initial touch not just to selling something, not just to a closed one deal, but what happens after that? You know, depending on your business, there, there could be additional steps to onboard, to ramp, and then don't forget about retention, right? So the buying process isn't, it's two things. One, just like all of our insights, it really doesn't have an end because you've got hopefully cross-sell and upsell. And so people should be going through the funnel over and over and over again. The, the second thing is that it's not necessarily linear. So while we map out the buying process in steps, thinking of top of the funnel to bottom of the funnel and beyond, we also have to keep in mind that depending on the different buyers that we've identified through our insights phase, how they flow through the funnel, how they flow through the buying process can be quite different. You might have some people who go through every single step. You might have some people, Jen mentioned procurement, and that's a great, um, a great example. So, you know, typically procurement isn't involved in the, in the first steps. They're not looking for thought leadership content around a particular product, but by God, they get involved when it push comes to shove and, and you're about to spend money, right? And so as you're mapping out those steps, you also have to think about which steps apply to who. Um, you have to think about, is this a highly transactional process? And therefore it's going to have far fewer steps in the buying process, um, or is it a more relational process? I mean, my God, we've worked with clients where the buying process can be 24 months, quite literally. Um, and so obviously you're going to have a number of steps and, and it makes, makes kind of the middle steps and the nurturing um, just so much more important. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that the key elements, um, mapping out the discrete, step, the discrete steps, keeping in mind, you know, transactional versus relational, keeping in mind this isn't just about acquisition, it's also about um, retention and everything in between. Um, and that it, it largely differs by your various personas that you've begun to identify through the insights phase. Perfect. So now that we have all this information, Jessica, can you talk a bit about how you would tie this all together into the conversation track architecture? Yeah, I think nobody here is going to debate the importance of personalized customer journeys, right? And, and how it continues to be increasingly important and consumers demand, you know, businesses, consumers, whatever it is that whoever it is you're selling to demand personalization, you know, they're giving you information along the way, you know, things about them and they expect personalized customer journeys. Um, 
but it's also impossible to think that you would be able to deliver those customer journeys infinitely, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So how do we speak to people in that personalized way, but still make it scalable? And that's what a customer, um, we think about uh, conversation track architecture, that's what that is. So we do cluster analyses. We take all the work that, that all the insights that, that Jen talked about, then we look at the information exchange along that buyer's journey and those those discrete steps that that Jennifer talked about along that buyer's journey we think about all of the key personas that we've developed right that that are influencers or decision makers or whoever they might be throughout all of that and we do a cluster analysis that really looks at what their roles are and what are the commonalities between what they're looking for at each one of those key stages that we can speak to in a personalized way so it's less about, you know, I think traditionally we see a lot of people trying to personalize around things like roles or titles. We see a lot when we work with organizations, you know, Jennifer talked about coming into organizations and they think they know their buyer. Well, they also think that they personalize because they personalize along titles oftentimes or job functions is another one we see a lot. Um, but this, it's really more about, less about static segmentation and more like company size, things like that, but more about um, behavior, right? So uh, we have a one client, it always comes to mind. I don't know why this, this example has always comes to mind for me, but we have a cybersecurity client that um, it was really about your approach to security, right? Was it from a, it was an actual security perspective, right? Like I'm strategically thinking about security as part of my organization. It's that's that you're, you're leading with that piece of it. Or am I coming at this from a business perspective, right? I have a business strategy or a business challenge that might have a security implication to it. So the interesting thing is, is that those conversation tracks later on actually merge, right? So they come together because there's a set of common things when they get to an active buying state that they're interested in. And so you can have a common conversation with them, but early when they're passively seeking out information, thought leadership earlier in those buying stages, they have very different journeys because they're coming at the same problem from very, very different approaches. So oftentimes you'll see, um, you know, conversation tracks, again, Jennifer talked about the, the buying process not being linear. Sometimes conversation tracks, um, you know, come together, split apart at different times during the buying process as well. Um, but at the end of the day, again, it's really about how do we scale? How do we have conversations at scale and personalize at scale with our buyers um, and, and still be able to, uh, you know, just grow in an effective way as organizations? You know, I'd add something onto that, Jessica. I, I think there's a really important reason why that's called a conversation track, right? And that it's supposed to be conversational and right. conversations the listening is just as important as, as the talking. And so starting, and I know eventually we'll start talking about lead management and how that model layers on top of here, but during your conversation track, it's not, you know, building out that architecture, it's not too, certainly not too early to be thinking about what should we be listening to in terms of the behavior, all of the data that we're capturing, not just the behavioral, but also the demographic that might splinter the conversation track or merge it together, depending on, the personas you're speaking to. Absolutely. And the other thing I didn't talk about was engagement channels, right? I think that's one of the beauty, you know, the beautiful things about a conversation track architecture is that a well-informed conversation track architecture enables you to have conversations that are consistent across engagement channels. And we talked about how, you know, people at any given time can be interacting with your organization or your people, you know, across a variety of different channels, right? And you want to be having that consistent conversation with them no matter where they're 
engaging with you, um, your website, online, offline, whatever it might be, right? So that also gives you the ability to be consistent um, and really map to understand. You understand all that information, like you said, right, that they've been giving you, and then you can go back and give them that personalization back as well. I just also want to reinforce something that you said kind of towards the beginning, Jessica, which is that, you know, a lot of companies use job function or job role, job title, some combination of that to, to determine how they're going to segment their audiences and talk to them. And it's important, I think, and it's worthy to note that when I was working with Annuitus, that was one of the biggest epiphanies for me was when I saw the conversation track architecture and it was the, the audiences were segmented and those conversation tracks were, were, you know, built in a way that I had never thought of. And it's because I was, I was so close to it that I wasn't able to see that there was a different way to personalize these conversations. And that I will never forget, you know, that moment when I saw it and it was like the biggest light bulb above my head, like, wow, why didn't I think of this before? Um, so I think that that can be a pretty powerful thing that when you start, when you start digging into your audience and finding those commonalities and the differences that makes you put them, you know, group them and segment them in ways that you never would have imagined. And it's it brings it brings unique roles together, doesn't it? Sometimes roles you wouldn't think had commonalities. And I think that, like you said, that it gets super interesting when you really dig into it like that. I, I don't know how many times we've kicked off with, with a, a client and we talk about, you know, like, well, we go after this C-suite role because they're the decision maker. Okay. But they're not out there past it, like doing initial research on something. They're not the ones. And by the way, they don't all think exactly the same. Oh. So, so it's really interesting to see how people it's like, we're, you know, robots turning out, like I got this title. Now I have to think this way, you know, but it doesn't work that way. People are, are human and they approach, you know, business challenges, you know, business, and they have different pains, right? The decision-making process, all these different things, right. But they, they approach them in different ways depending on where they're coming at from the business or, you know, what's going on in their organization or what's going on in the, in the world today and whatever it might be, right. All those insights are going to help to inform what that conversation track architecture should be. And ultimately what content you need to serve the needs of them to feel confident that they should be nurtured and progressed down that buying cycle. Look how you just wrapped it up full circle. <laughs> You're coming right up on time also. <laughs> well done, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, be sure to tune into our next segment. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you.